0: This morning, we continue in the sermon series, the worship series we've been in on the past few weeks, continuing in worship, which is the product of the worship pillar, part of the strategic plan, and the worship pillar was tasked with creating a theology of worship that we could use to measure our worship practices against And in the spring of this year, your clergy and worship leaders, both sanctuary and core, created a document on worship that is the inspiration for our time together. And so far, we've talked about worship in light of fulfilling life's purpose and also worship as life in the spirit. You and I were created for worship. Worship. We see that in the first few chapters of the Bible. We see that in the Ten Commandments of the Bible. We see it in all the rituals and holy days of the Bible, even and especially in the daily lives of God's people. Worship is what we do as a people of God. And I'm not just talking about once a week on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Worship is who we are as a gathered And as a scattered people of God, we come into this place, we gather as the body of Christ, then we scatter into the world. When we gather, there is a greater revelation given to us of who God is, and that revelation shapes and forms who we are as a people of God, how we live our lives. There's a more robust experience to be had in our gathering, a more creative call and purpose given for the scattering. Worship is all of life. It's who we are. It's what we do. And in so being, we are Christ's countercultural people. This past month of August, Leanne and I celebrated 25 years of marriage together, and second only to Christ, she is the best thing that's ever happened to me. We are best friends. We are kingdom partners. We are as different as night and day, and you'd probably agree with me, but one thing we've got is Jesus. We get him the same way we think and do ministry, just the same He is our everything and what binds us together. And when we exchanged our wedding vows 25 years ago, that changed everything for us. We entered into a new paradigm of living and doing life. This is what I mean by that. When we were dating, I could do whatever I wanted with my money. I could enter into a risky venture. I could rack up and hit the ceiling on credit card debt. But once we entered into the marriage covenant, that changed everything. And my money became her money, our money. And we steward it over as best as we can together in the context of that covenant. When we were dating, another boy could have asked her out and she could have said yes. Yes. I might have been like, now hold on here. But she could have said, yes, when we entered into the marriage covenant, that changed everything about how we relate to and interact with the opposite sex. I have zero regrets about entering into That relationship, the marriage covenant with my bride and best friend Leanne, everything changed because of my allegiance and hers to this new relationship. More and more in today's world, that is countercultural. And it's the same with our Christian faith in Jesus Christ. As we enter into relationship with Christ, everything changes. Individually, yes, much more so corporately. It changes everything. How we relate to other people, how we relate to the world, how we carry ourselves in the midst of strife, what our values are, what our purpose is, everything changes. And the scripture that we read this morning is clear about what makes God's people distinct over and against all the other people. And please hear me say, I'm not saying better than. Distinct than all other people. Singularity of purpose, of focus, of allegiance. Just this past Friday, some of us are praying through the Psalms this month. Just this past Friday, we prayed through and saw how God's people would at times flatter him with their lips, and then lie with their tongues. Duplicitous behavior as God's people is not countercultural. And there are consequences to our fickleness, to our witness, but God remains the same. His heart is loyal to his children. He is faithful to his covenant. And as we experience God's heart and God's faithfulness, we experience transformation from one degree of glory it's a process to ever increasing glory. That process is countercultural. So, how does it play itself out in our lives? And how does Matthew 6 speak into being countercultural in the living of our lives? Let me suggest it does so in three ways. To be countercultural in this world, God's people have hearts that are fully devoted to him rather than the treasures of the world. They have eyes that are singularly fixed and focused on him so they can share God's love and mercy. And in this we give our allegiance to God and not to world, not to wealth, not to power or prestige or any other thing. First, In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus talks about the heart, which is the center of our affections and our commitments. The heart reveals where our investments lie, and I'm not talking about financial resources, so much more so. Our lips can say what they want, but the heart reveals our idols, our treasures, our those things we place utmost importance on. To store up worldly treasure and worldly treasure alone is to be inward and self-centered, to be enculturated and tethered to this earth. But to store up treasure in heaven is life and joy and peace right here, right now. And that treasure is understood as Anything we can take with us beyond this earthly realm, talking holiness of character, talking acts of service that we do in Jesus' name, or the way we invest in the discipleship and lives of another person. If the only treasure in our lives consists of wealth, power, or prestige, our witness is more likely to be ineffective at best, non-existent at worst. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how do we change the heart? Nothing less than heart surgery will do. And God said, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh said he'd put his law in our heart and set our hearts on fire with holy love. We can change our attitude, our mind. We can change our behavior about certain things. We can try really hard, but only God can change the heart. And in the process, he gives our heart right and godly desires, the things that reflect his glory and his goodness. He becomes our most prized possession. So how do we get there? It's a process, one step at a time. It is a lifelong journey of surrender, a daily death to self. We give God our heart and he does a work of transformation. Christ's countercultural people are engaged in that process of becoming more and more and more fully devoted to him. Second in verse 22 and 23, Jesus talks about the eye. Just as the heart is thought to be the center of one's affection, the eye is the window to the soul. Not only does it allow the whole body to truly see, but it also illuminates the world around us. One commentary said, ancient people didn't think of light entering the eye from the outside, but rather light coming out of one's eye like a lamp. And as that light comes out of the eye, people are drawn to it. That ought to be liberating. It's not about us doing the hard work, but letting Christ shine through us so that people are drawn to the light of Christ. Good eyes are observant, which results in kindness, generosity, hospitality, to light the way for the people that we see. Bad eyes Narrow minded, cold hearted, stingy, and they leave people groping in the dark, no flexion, no doubt a reflection of our own groping. If the darkness is in there, how great is it? So, how does the light get in? Well, you may be blind or see blurry or sleepy eyed. You may spend the better part of a day protecting your eyes or redirecting them. I want you to hear the good news, just like it played out in Luke chapter 18, when Jesus is entering Jericho and there's a blind beggar sitting by the road, hearing this commotion of the crowd asking, what's going on? Jesus is coming and he makes a holy ruckus. Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody's like, shh, have mercy on me. And Jesus walks up to him, takes note of the guy, walks up to him and asks him, what do you want me to do? I wanna see. I wanna be healed. If you are in the room right now, Jesus is passing by and it is on us to make a holy ruckus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. We want to see. And he is the only one who can change the heart and put his light inside of us so that we are able to really see he wants to heal us. That's the only way the light gets in there. Jesus is willing and able to give sight to the blind, to correct the nearsighted, farsighted, blurry vision that we have. And when he does, there is a single eye that's fixed and focused on him for the living of all our days. And not just are we focused on him, but because we are, there's a light inside that's pushing all the darkness out and shining for all the world to see, allowing us to see things the way that he does to illuminate the world that people are drawn to him. Finally, in verse 24, Jesus brings it all together, a heart fully devoted to God, an eye singly fixed and focused on him. And the point that he is driving towards is this, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters, both God and money. Some versions of the Bible say God and wealth. And some versions say God and mammon. And that might be the best of all translations. Mammon is derived from a Hebrew phrase that means that in which one trusts. Let me ask you, what do you put your trust in? We can't put our trust In two things, we can't serve God and anything other. Not money, not possessions, not fame, not status. Nothing is to be esteemed higher than God. Verse 24 sums up the emphasis of the heart and eye. Undivided loyalty is essential. Say that with me. Undivided loyalty is essential. Now say it like you mean it. Undivided loyalty is essential to spiritual life, health, and growth. Jesus did not say we should not. He said, you can't. You could not. We cannot serve two masters. If you're familiar with the Rocky franchise, it's like Adrian Balboa telling Rocky, you can't win. And if you're not familiar with Rocky, you should watch the whole set. When we put our trust in anything other than God, our faith begins to lessen. Discipleship, followership, our worship, and all of life, it demands complete loyalty. All of our heart, all of our eyes fixed on Jesus and those who try to live their lives with one foot in the world and one foot out, with one eye on heaven and one on mammon, they wind up serving lesser things. Idols, gods that we've created in our own image. God's countercultural people give their allegiance to God and not to the world, not wealth, not power. How does this play itself out in our lives? Let me tell you first that I'm listening to a book on audio, The Pilgrim's Regress, by C.S. Lewis, which is a metaphorical account of his own journey from atheism to full faith in Jesus Christ. And the main character in the story is a man named John who grew up in a town called Puritania, grew up learning the difference between right and wrong, fearful of this stiff, cold-hearted landlord which represents the Lord of all creation, none other than God. And as a young man with all of that upbringing and experience, he goes on a journey to an island that he'd heard of that stirred a deep sense of longing in him, a longing for more, for something ultimate, something that would truly satisfy. And this journey takes him around the world where he experiences the sheerest of pleasures. And he experiences the most profoundest of all philosophies and all of these things leave him empty and ultimately he meets mother kirk who's representative of the church and while other all those other things contain truth in part they still had gaps mother kirk exposed those gaps as truth that only christ could fill she is the only one who knew the way to this island this island of true and lasting desire. And John realizes he has nowhere else to go. There's only one thing he can do. And so Mother Kirk said, you've got to take off your rags. Take those clothes that you're wearing off and dive headlong into this lake. And John, he's like, I've never dived before in my whole life. I don't know how, don't know what, never learned that. And she says, there is nothing to learn. The art of diving is not to do anything new. It is simply to cease doing something. You have only to let yourself go. It's only necessary to abandon all efforts at self-preservation. What we have here, church, is a picture of baptism, diving into the water, experiencing death to self, rising in Christ to experience new, full, abundant life right here right now in this earthly realm this man john now had a new allegiance to christ and he thinks this island is in reach that a passageway on a ship will get him there but he soon discovers it's not an island it's a peninsula and the only way to get there is to travel back around the world through the world the way that he came he can't take a boat can't even swim He's got to go back and encounter everything he'd ever encountered. The pilgrim's regress. Back into this world with a guide who will now walk with him. Come, that guide said. If you're ready, let's begin this journey. But I should warn you of one thing. The country will look very different now on the return journey. Everything is different because he is different. Everything changes because the guide, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And as John walks through the world, he sees it with new eyes and he's got to learn a new way. How do I live now? How do I engage this world now that I have a new allegiance to the one and only? Core people, how do we engage the world now that we have a new allegiance? You've heard the gospel truth before. When the time was right, God stepped down out of heaven. In the person and work of Jesus, he lived and died. Jesus was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven. And when he did, because he did, he went from being someone on the outside of us to the one who lives inside of those who repent and receive this gift of God's grace, of God's love. That changes everything. We've got a new heart, a new lens to see and live life through, a new way to walk with the Spirit guiding us in this world a different way because of a new allegiance as God's countercultural people who worship in all of life because life is worship. We have hearts that are fully devoted to God rather than the treasures of this world, money or otherwise. We have a single eye that's fixed and focused on Jesus so that we can share and give God's love and mercy away. And we live our lives wholly yielded to him, a new allegiance, not to the world, not to wealth, not to power. So let me challenge you this morning. And then let me encourage you, first the challenge. As a gathered and scattered people, we don't go to church, we are the church. We gather in this place on a regular basis to remember and rehearse God's story of rescue. We gather because we've experienced God's rescue. And our gathering just might be the most countercultural thing we give ourselves to all week. Prioritization of this time together. Commitment to one another. Being a part of something bigger than myself. Giving my worship and allegiance to someone other than myself. We are not a country club. This is not a civic organization and what we do is not extracurricular. Well, I'm too tired or there's something better. That's not who we are. In our gathering, we experience God's grace and glory, his beauty, his majesty, his love, and that shapes who we are and how we live our lives in the scattering. And so we scatter and in our going, we are in this world and not of it. We scatter because Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples, not to sit on our hands until they come to us. God has called us to be in the world and not of it, to be different And to live differently, and so we live with a different allegiance, an allegiance to the Most High God. We work as unto the Lord. We listen more than we speak. We don't engage in gossip or slander in virtual or in real life. We embrace a different ethic in all of life. We are citizens of heaven much more than earth, country, or state. Our heart is for the church that gathers around the world today over and against any other denomination. We live, love, and gather again. Week in and week out, that's the rhythm of our living. That's who we are and what we do. Church, are you with me? Now let me encourage you just a bit. You can't win there's only one thing that we are called to, invited into, and that is to stop our feeble attempt at self-preservation. Death to self, surrender to God, do nothing. That's good news. Lord Jesus, stop by here. I want to see. We want to see. We don't have to do anything All we have to do is repent and receive and let God do a work. And so let's stop with the striving and let's receive everything that God has for us, namely his presence. Lord, do a work in us. Lord, move on your church and know that transformation of heart, a single eye fixed and focused on him, a new allegiance. It's a process. Just like it is learning to walk, Sometimes we'll take two steps forward, 14 steps back, and we just get up and do the next thing we know to do, because it's not on us to do anything. It's on him to do everything. That's good news. Amen. Amen. Lord, it's on you. Jesus, it is on you individually to set us free corporately to help us be exactly who you're calling us to be. So God, Open our eyes and wake us up. Lord, move on your church that we might be your people in this world. Lord, help us to be countercultural in our worship, in the gathering and in the scattering, in the living of our lives, because worship is life in the spirit. Help us to have a single eye, a heart that is fully yielded, an allegiance that is totally wielded to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Say that with me. Come, Holy Spirit. To God be the glory. In just a second, we're going to stand and sing. And maybe you're not feeling like standing because God's speaking to you and you want to sit in the moment. That's okay for a time of ministry, for a time of sitting in God's presence please know you can sit if you're inclined to do so. If you need to come and receive prayer, Tammy Bell would love to pray with you over anything at all. And so risk vulnerability and let her pray with you. If you wanna give your life to Christ, that's the most important decision you'll ever make. If you wanna become a part of this church family, Jacob and I will be down front. We'd love to have either one of those conversations. But hear me when I say, there is power in our commitment and strength in numbers. First to Christ, second to each other. So if God is calling you to marinate in this message, to receive a time of healing, ministry, and prayer, to give your life to him, don't let his voice fall on deaf ears. Let's run to him together. In our worship, let's make a holy ruckus up to God that he might move and have his way in this place and in this place. God, move on your church as we worship you.